Irish Nation, welcome back. We did it. We made it. We are officially back for season two of the show. I know, I know. In our final show of season one, we promised more off-season episodes. But frankly, it's been a quiet off-season. There wasn't much to cover. Um, and for call, uh, for covering a college football team in the off-season, no news is often good news. It means players are not getting into trouble or getting involved in situations that uh, distract from the progress of the team. Before we get into today's show, first we need to start with a question for Brett. As you may recall, Brett lost his voice for seemingly half of the first season's episodes. And right on brand, his voice, of course, is gone again. Brett, welcome back to the sh- uh, season two of the show. And uh, for our listeners, can you tell them how you lost your voice? Hey, Mike. Great to be back in the recruiting, recording booth with you. And, and yeah, once again, lost my voice. No, I was not screaming at the top of my lungs cheering the gold team to victory in the blue-gold game just like I did after the uh, Wisconsin and USC episodes last year. Uh, it's pollen season here in Atlanta, which means everything from your car to your vocal cords get coated in a thick layer of yellow dust. So that's the story I'm going with. Definitely doesn't have anything to do with going to my favorite bar in Atlanta until closing last night, Atkins Park. Not a sponsor of Guyers Talk Podcast, but it should be. Best bar in Atlanta if you're ever in the city. Brett, you forget I grew up in the South, so the pollen excuse is not gonna, not gonna work for me. I've, I've lived through <laughs> pollen season for, uh, most of the years of my life. Uh, so I think, I think if I had to make a bet here, I would guess that it was probably the late night at the bar. And no shame in that. It's always good to have a fun night out like that. Um, now, yeah, and again, Brett, whatever you gotta say to make yourself feel better. Now, uh, we have a great show in store for you to, a great show in store for you today. We're gonna recap the blue and gold game. And, uh, and some other news and notes from spring practice. But before we get there, we're going to kick off the show with our second guest on Guyrish Talk to break down the upcoming NFL draft and the Notre Dame prospects who are going to land on NFL rosters. Yeah, we tried to get Mike Golick, Mike Golick Jr., Brady Quinn, Jerome Bettis, but unfortunately, none of them were, were willing to get on the show with us. Uh, but we wanted to go real big with our second guest. After having Notre Dame running back Sam Asaf on the show in, in season one, we thought, wow, Let's use this as an opportunity to build on that and, and land a really big fish for the podcast. Suffice to say, we did not get a big fish, but we got the boat, the best of all time when it comes to covering the NFL draft. Love love a Blake Bortles boat reference uh, whenever it comes up. Well, now that we've got our listeners on the edge of their seats, let's get right to it. All right, our guest today is longtime friend of the show, Alexi. I'm guessing most, if not all, of our listeners have never heard of Alexi, and that's okay, I get it. But for breaking down the NFL draft, he's an absolute pro. Alexi's a Jets fan, which means the NFL draft is the highlight of his football season, where there's still hope for the Jets. And as such, he's become a savant of NFL prospects. So without further ado, Alexi, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Happy to be here. Long-time listener, first-time guest. As you alluded to, unfortunately, the draft season is the highlight of the of the Jets since we have not even made a playoff game in the last 10 years. And so really excited to dive into some of the great talent that's coming up for Notre Dame. So first question for you, Alexi, of Notre Dame's prospects in this year's NFL draft, who, who goes first on the board? Who's the highest pick for, for Notre Dame? So I think if I answer this question incorrectly, all your listeners might mutiny and kick me off and rid me of my savant title. So I'm going to go pretty bold here, Brett, um, and say Kevin Austin. No, kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, 
it's Kyle Hamilton. And we've seen people have as high as the top two overall player in this entire draft. Most consensus boards, he's the runaway safety for the number one after Dak in front of Dax Hill. And most people have him as a pretty safe lock for top 15. Now, honestly, he's probably a top five player in this draft, but because of the position at safety, other prospects who have been more versatile, like I think Isaiah Simmons, have taken a longer time to catch on in the NFL. Some teams are going to have hesitation there. But when you look at Kyle Hamilton, the measurables are absolutely off the charts, right? He's 6'4", he's 220. He hit in the 94th percentile for his wingspan and same with his arm length. And that shows up on his tape when he's breaking up routes and deflecting passes. So his stealing could be Darwin James, which I know ex-FSU player, so probably not a lot of love lost there, but incredible NFL player when healthy. And Darwin James is only six foot one, so he could be a souped up, jacked up um, Darwin James. That's a so that's the, a great comparison. Um, I think if he turned out to be Darwin James, Notre Dame fans would be pretty pumped. What do you think about his 40 speed? That was a big headline coming out of the combine. Ran a 4.6, definitely slower for a guy in the in the back end secondary. Does that bring up a risk that, that he could fall in the draft? So it shouldn't, but unfortunately it will, right? So some of the issues was, one, at Indy this year, they had just laid down a new track, and so – Everyone was running really fast. And the issue is the folks that didn't blow it out of the water, that increases the level of concern, right? And a 4.640, that's about the 42nd percent percentile for safeties. And especially when you're trying to legitimize a top 10 pick, they want all of those boxes checked, right? So to give context, Earl Thomas ran a 4.38, right? And so it's a lot easier to justify it. Now, all that being said, right, this is football, not a track event. And so you see that sideline to sideline speed where, you know, you'll be looking at film and he's not even in the frame. And then next thing you know, he zips right in, picks off or defends a pass. So you, I think you need to understand that because of his intelligence and his instincts, he's able to play at a lot faster speed, even though he may not have been recorded. Um, and the other thing I'll mention too is, his broad jump was actually really high. It was in the 93rd percentile, which is a pretty good indicator of explosiveness. And so what it could also just mean is that he didn't have the best form or he he's, he's not just a pure track guy. So it's a little bit of a concern, but not enough that he should, he should definitely be in the top 15. And I'd be surprised if he makes it past Washington at 11. So where's your best guess on where he goes? Um... I think he's going to be, my guess is, I could see, it depends, right? So Seattle could consider him because obviously they've always valued safety play. Now with Jamal Adams there, they probably don't just because that's a lot of money to invest in your safeties. And that's the other consideration. By being a top 10 pick, you automatically, I think, become the sixth or seventh highest safety in the league. So I think... Yeah, just that's how the cap works. And so I definitely 11 to 15, I would like, like I mentioned, Washington, the Ravens at 14. I've always been known to, although they just gave a major deal to a safety, but somewhere around that range. Um, the Eagles, too, make a lot of sense just because 
Um, one, they're more analytics focused, so they're going to value pass coverage more. And two, they have two first round picks, so they can use the luxury of drafting a safety with one of them. And frankly, the Jets could also draft him at 10. We we had by far the worst secondary in the NFL <laughs> by every metric. So, um, and then I think the last, um, the last thing to keep in mind too is, you know, he, he has been dinged up a little bit too. So that's something that's going to, nothing major, right? But, um, you know, his season was cut short this year. So, and I think if you've been able to play all of it, then it would, he would definitely be a top five pick as opposed to what we're talking about in that like 10 to 15 range. Yeah, that that's really interesting. He almost took the Joey Bosa route where had kind of a minor in, injury, decided to shut it down. And yeah. there's a trade-off there of protecting your body, but also um, less film to have on hand and, and also kind of brings up more, more injury concerns. So moving on from Kyle Hamilton – of Notre Dame's prospects, who is hurt most by the combine, might be falling down draft boards, might need a little bit of luck on, on draft day to kind of maintain their draft stock. Yeah, and once again, I think this won't be a surprise for most of your listeners who are plugged in. It's uh, Kyron Williams, right? Um, and you know, he um, he has a really just awesome story in terms of his background, right? So because I, I when I looked it up. Um, he set his high school records in career TDs, receptions, reception yards, which that's pretty normal. But he also set uh, his high school se- single season record for interceptions, which is um, wow. I thought pretty interesting and shows the really reliable hands he has. Um, the biggest issue with him, obviously, right, is the measurables were always going to be a concern. He's 5'9", he's under 200 pounds. And when I dug into his film a little bit, well, one thing that jumped out is he's awesome in that wide zone outside runs, right? So he had 84 attempts on these wide zones and got about 400 yards. And then his next most attempts was 43 through the A gap. And so what that tells you, right, is you want him going left, right, and cutting up field as opposed to purely in the tackles, which makes sense for someone his size. And so the issue is, right, when his – numbers were just absolutely atrocious in the combine, you know, 4.65, 40, which is 23rd percentile. Sometimes people make up for that if they have a better initial 10 yard split, but he hit a 1.62, which is 30th. His vert was also low in the 21st percentile. Same with his broad jump, which was in the 33rd. So he's not going to out athlete a lot of folks and he's pretty small. And then the other, um, issue that jumped out was his eight, you know, he had, he had fumbles, right? And that's one way to absolutely get in a doghouse on the NFL. Now, what I do want to highlight though, because I think, you know, I think he brings a lot of value in the sense of one really reliable pass catcher, right? I think the stat that jumped out to me there, 77 receptions over two years. I think that's second most by all Notre Dame players um, and only one drop. So you put it up there, he's going to snag it. Um, you know, he runs a really like mean angle route, which I which I appreciate, and you can see him being able to turn out those yards. Um, and he's the two things that you wouldn't expect from a guy his size, right? Very willing pass blocker. Now, because he's so small, sometimes he gets pushed back and it doesn't work. But he's willing to get his nose dirty, and I think it shows some of those high effort, high motor characteristics that we see catch on in the NFL, even though you have less than an athletic profile. 
And that's also reflected in him being a team captain just as a sophomore. And then the, the other one I do want to give him a shout out is there's a couple of instances where he had like a surprisingly strong stiff arm where like you wouldn't expect it, <laughs> especially at someone like where we listed all these size concerns. But there was a couple of times where like you would just see him, you know, completely throw defenders on the ground. Like, okay, good for you, Kyron. Yeah, I so, think one of the things we, we learned about Kyron this year is when he has a good offensive line that's functioning well, he's a thousand yard rusher. And when he mm-hmm. doesn't, um, not so much. And and he made some ridiculous plays. He had a 91-yard run against UNC that might have been the highlight of the season where I think he broke eight tackles in one play and it was just a ping-pong ball going down the field. But you're not going to break eight tackles in the NFL if your measurables aren't, aren't higher. So I totally get it. It seems like he could be a great RB2 somewhere in the NFL. Um, great locker room guy, great gritty guy. Um, but he's just not got that daylight speed to, to be a first round pick. So where do you think he goes in the draft? So one, um, when I was thinking about, you know, because, so I think one, he's going to probably be around that fourth. So fourth to sixth round would be my guess. Like I'd be shocked if he wasn't drafted, you know, and cause there's a huge need for pass catching running backs. And when we were, when I was looking at some of his comparisons, right. Um, you see a little bit of theoretic, which obviously yeah. everyone here is familiar with. Um, two other current NFL players, um, Miles Gaskin or James White, right? You could see, I think you could see a role for that. So, um, in terms of team fits, right? I think anyone who really needs a pass catching back, so even a team like the Patriots, if they wanted to have a backup since James White was injured or any of the new coaches who are implementing a new system. So I really see him as a third down running back and he can be part of a rotation on some of those more traditional running downs. And honestly, for him, the biggest thing is, will he still be effective in that wide zone scheme, knowing that the level of athleticism is just going to jump up, right? And we haven't seen him be partic- part- like forcing a lot of missed tackles. And so will he be able to use his vision and everything to still make the plays that he needs to? Yep. Got it. All right, so that's Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams, two captains, two guys that Notre Dame fans know really well. Who is helped most by the combine, and and how high up the draft boards can can that player go? Yeah, so this was one um, that I was pleasantly surprised with is uh, Kevin Austin. Right, and I made a joke about him earlier, and I think when I was doing my research, people were surprised that he was invited to the combine to begin with. I think he was a little bit of a fringe broad prospect and no one helped himself more than Kevin did, right? He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Um, all the scouts were gushing about his physique, which is always a little bit funny, right? Not an ounce, not an ounce of fat on his body built like a Greek god. You're like, okay, you know, we get it, we get it. He's, he's in good shape. <laughs> Making the rest uh, of us look bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As someone with, someone with a dad bod, I don't appreciate too much of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, his his 40 was pr- very impressive at 4.43. So that's 76 percentile. And when you think about that, 62, you know, or 6.2. And then his really explosive numbers, too, were – his broad jump was 132 inches, which is 94th percentile. His vert was 87th percentile, which I think you see a lot of that. When he's really suited for that vertical downfield contested catch point, 
And that's where you see, you know, that's where you see his strengths lie. Three catches of over 50 yards in 2021 alone. And one stat that I really loved was, you know, 80, 81% of his career catches were either a first down or a touchdown. Wow. So, yeah, right. That's So chain mover shows, shows on the field awareness. Um, the biggest issue that he's – so because of this athletic profile and, frankly, you know, it's, it's rare that you see someone go from – 18 yards the season prior to almost 900 yards, seven TDs and averaging 18 and a half yards per catch. Um, but you see that lack of experience on tape, right? He makes some amazing plays, but his, he's still very stiff in his routes, right? And for someone his size, I was expecting a little bit more tackle breaking yards after the catch, but he typically catches it and goes down. Um, and then, as you alluded to, he had a really good combine performance. But I think at times when you watch the game tape, and unfortunately we don't have the like the game speed numbers that AWS provides to teams, so I'd be interested to see how that matches up. But he um, he ran a lot faster than what he chose on tape. And so I think if you're hoping that that 4-4-3 speed is his calling card, I think it might be a little bit um, not representative. And then, obviously, he was injured in 2020 with two surgeries um, feet for wide receivers are really important. So you would hope that that's behind him. And then there were some maturity issues in 2019. So you hope that whatever the team suspended him for, it was more, he was a young man figuring it out. And now he knows what it takes to work at the next level. So when I think about Kevin Austin, he's a very classic, that boom or bust prospect that teams love to take a chance on, especially around that fourth to sixth round range. You know, you can't teach six foot two. You can't, a lot of that contested catches. I think he had nine of them downfield this year. That's exactly what they're looking for. And you're going to get people who say like, you know what, we can coach, we can coach the route running. And in terms of play style, um, in terms of current NFL players, he reminded me a lot of Donovan Peoples-Jones on the, on the Browns. So hmm. once again, big guy who comes down with the ball a little bit faster than you give him credit. Um, Michigan alum, so once again, uh, hopefully the fans keep the pitchforks down. <laughs> um, and then I saw a little bit of also shades of DJ Shark. Um, so if you play fantasy, you're probably familiar with him, um, just in terms of straight line vertical speed. Gotcha. Yeah, it feels like Kevin might be a little bit of the opposite of Kyle Hamilton, where Kyle Hamilton looks a lot faster than 4.6, 40 speed yeah. when you watch him in a game, and, and Kevin Austin maybe seems a little slower. He's he's a guy that I think a lot of Notre Dame fans thought could maybe come back um, for for one more year mm-hmm. and really benefit from from another year at, at Notre Dame. I tend to take the approach that if a uh, you know twenty year old twenty one year old kid can go and make millions of dollars in the NFL draft, who am I to tell you to come back and play for free one more year? Um, but definitely someone that felt like every other year was supposed to be the breakout receiver. Like I think three straight years, he was going to be the breakout guy. And finally last year he was, but to your point, there's only really one year of data on him and the other two are either injuries or, or in the doghouse. And so I think, you know, that's going to hold him back from say being a second round pick. But I, I agree with you. He, he maybe went from a late round pick to a mid round pick based on what he did um, at the combine. So stepping back, We've talked about three offensive players. In total, how many Notre Dame players do you think get drafted? Who who else haven't we talked about that you think is going to get their name called in the first seven rounds? Yep, so those three are a lock. 
I would, you know, barring a Laramie Tunsil gas flung mask incident from any of those three, they will get drafted. Um, I think then the two who are on the fringe, so I think Jack Cohn um, will get drafted just because he's a quarterback. What we've seen from him, it's interesting. There's some people like Dane Brugler who have him as high as QB8. And wow. then there's PF, yeah, right? And then, and then there's PFF, which actually has a decent amount of X on their Dame staff. They don't even have him ranked. So I you, think that's. You think after Ian Book and Deshaun Kaiser, pe- people would be a little more wary <laughs> of going bold on, on Notre Dame quarterbacks. But Cohn certainly has the measurables, has the arm strength, um, to, to be an NFL QB. Might be a bit of a statue back there, but um, that doesn't surprise me to, to hear that. Yeah, no, and and then you know he, to your point, right? He looks the part. He's got a above average, but not amazing arm, right? So I think so. And then what you'll definitely see with him is once he gets in a rhythm, he's really efficient in his progressions, hitting his second reads. Um, the biggest issue is you see this like he's not a great athlete, right? I think when I looked it up, he only had six rushing first downs in 2021. And then the other stat that made me laugh is his rushing yards this year were 57 carries for negative 100 yards, which means he's pretty much just doing kneel downs, which it, I'm just, I've never quite seen a stat line like that across so many carries, but he did have two touchdowns to his credit. Um, so no, I think someone will draft him. And if, so I, I would, if I was a betting man, I would definitely put money on Jack Cohn being drafted. So the other player I would consider here would be um, MTA, which I know is a nickname that everyone on this podcast is familiar with since I'm terrible at pronouncing some of those more exotic last names. Um, he's really interesting. So he's ranked on PFS board as the 33rd edge player. So what that tells me is he's either going to be a sixth, seventh round guy or a priority undrafted free agent. One thing I will say is I think if you're going to be in the seventh round, you're actually probably better off just going undrafted because then you can pick the team and the scheme that suits your skill set better. And, you know, so you can pick a team like, for example, Seattle, which has a long history of if not considering draft status into it. Whereas if you're a sixth, seventh round pick and there's already some concerns about you, it can be a little harder. Um, so I would definitely, I would definitely call, have him. And, and then the, I think after MTA, there's a little bit of a drop into people who, you know, as someone who watched a decent amount of team football with you, I would hope get drafted, but I'd frankly be a little bit surprised if they did. Got it. So sounds like over under is four and a half with Hamilton, yeah. Kyron, Austin as locks, MTA, Jack Cohn, likely, but, but definitely not locks of the other Notre Dame prospects who are either going to be fringe draft or undrafted free agents. Who do you think has the best potential to make it on an NFL roster next year? Yeah. So, so the, it's an, it's always interesting with these undrafted free agents, right? Because you have someone like Kirk Hennish who, you know, set the single season record or the Notre Dame school record for most consecutive games played, which at sixty one, right? The the issue with that is that also means he's 
an older prospect and sometimes people might think he's maxed out, right? And so I think to me, the player that I could see having the most snaps would probably be Isaiah Pryor because um, I, I do see as, at the very minimum a special teams role for him. And I think Drew White could do that too. Um, and both of them could at the very least play that two-down linebacker role. Um, so the biggest thing is obviously Drew White has way more production than Isaiah Pryor, right, since he only played for one year for you. But I think they, I think they both show – Yes, they're slightly limited in coverage, which honestly, that's why they're not going to get drafted because the way that the NFL is moving, everything is spread concepts and being able to maximize the personnel in your field. Um, but so I could see Isaiah Pryor as a really good special teams player. I wouldn't want to bet against Drew White just because of how admirably he filled in that role for JOK. And you can see that tackling consistency, the pass rushing, and so... You could see him being a rotational player, and maybe he figures out the coverage. The only issue with the coverage for both of them is their athletic numbers are okay, which doesn't like it just becomes harder to be even more fast twitched when you were struggling with it at the college level. Hmm. Interesting, really interesting. Yeah, I, I think Isaiah Pryor's athletic upside definitely serves him well in that role. Guys like Kurt True White um, probably going to need to overcome some of the, um, you know specs if you will from from the measurables so last question i got for you to to wrap things up as you step back and think about notre dame as a program as a feeder into the nfl how do you think they stack up against you know other top-notch programs the alabamas ohio states georgia's of the world in terms of bringing talent to the nfl yeah so great question i think one the offensive line you know, pipeline that's been developed from Notre Dame to the NFL is top notch, right? And Alabama, Ohio State, they're kind of the same with Clemson before they had that garbage year. They're in a little bit of their own category, but I would put Notre Dame right there as the second tier. You know, you had Quentin Nelson, um, Eichenberg went to the Dolphins, I believe, last year. And, you know, we have someone who, like Jared Patterson, if he had declared this year, some people had him as, as the consensus two center. And so you see a lot of trust in that um, in that development, I think that's a testament to your coaching. Um, and typically, too, I think Notre Dame is pretty good about having a um, high upside wide receiver, right? We saw that in Chase Claypool, which I think, that's kind of, if I'm Kevin Austin, that's what I'm trying to hang my hat on, right? Like super athletic and I just need to develop a little bit more in the league. Um, and then honestly, your defensive line too, and that loops back to your um, other premier player in Isaiah Fosley. Um, he, when he was initially ranked, he was right around that Jermaine Johnson, David Ojabo. And I think, I think he, he definitely would have been a, I think he would have been a second-round pick, maybe early third. But based on everything that I saw on film, he was a really good pass rusher, but he still needed to work on setting the edge, containing. And if he does that and doesn't get injured next year, he's definitely going to be a top 15 pick. Hmm. So to circle back and answer your question, I would definitely say in the trenches. So 
your hog mollies and your offensive line, (laughs) you know, and your defensive line as well. I think also just athletes in general. Right. So I'm like, you saw someone like JOK who could be so maybe not athletes, but versatility, I think is something that you typically see as some of the twitchier um, Notre Dame players. So, and the last one is kind of a second tier would be tight end. Um, you know, typically your program will send out a second to fifth round tight end every year. And because you're so good at offensive line, you're normally pretty good at blocking. And then you get some of that upskill of the wide receiver skills. Awesome. Really great insights. Thanks for being on the show. Great to see you as always, Alexi. And um, looking forward to uh, circling back after the draft. I challenge them in the locker room. I want to see how competitive they are. You know, I know this is practice 15, but when you get a chance to come into this stadium and compete for some something, a prize, uh, I want to see how competitive they are. Moving on to the blue gold game and, and a wrap up on the spring practice, which covered 15 practices here over the last month or so. Um, couple things that really stood out to us about the, the spring sessions more interview access with players and assistant coaches. Um, unlike the Kelly era where really it was just Kelly at the interview podium. Um, there were a lot more assistant coaches and players getting involved with just kind of some cool looks in, into how they're um, operating at their respective positions, but less media access to practices, which I think makes it a little bit difficult to assess which players are standing out. You kind of got to go off a of word of mouth and, and the media is not getting to see it live which I think made the blue-gold game all that more impactful for, for fans to, to kind of see it. And the theme for Marcus Freeman throughout this entire offseason is competition, competition, and, and more competition. Yeah, Brett, I, I would say in the past, in terms of the media access to, to practice, that was something maybe we, I don't know if spoiled is the right word, but I feel, I feel like something that I could always expect with some of Notre Dame's top beat writers, being able to get a decent read on kind of what was going on at the practice, who was actually doing well. Um, it's certainly nice to hear the players and assistant coaches at the podium. Um, you know, that's something that uh, I, I would say we didn't have a ton of access for before, especially the younger players. Some early enrollees would get their chance at the podium. I think that's great. Get them trained in media. Um, but as you said, Brett, I think the blue and gold game was really all we could go off of to see how players are actually doing. Um, and in terms of competition, moving to that point that you just made, um, Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, they were battling for the starting job. Even though at this point, I think it seems fairly obvious it'll be Buckner. Um, in order to create this competition, they drafted the players for the game to kind of uh, bring in some of that intensity there. And then uh, the winner of the blue-gold game, gets uh, they get some perks during summer practice. So there are some stakes in this. Uh, and this kind of goes with the theme of, of Marcus Freeman trying to like drive up that competition as much as possible. Um, on the news front, as we alluded to in our intro, uh, there really wasn't that much. On the injury front, uh, there have been a few injuries there. Avery Davis and Jarrett Patterson, they sat out all spring, as we knew. Joe Wilkins suffered a foot injury. Um, and those were some of the key points, I think, uh, coming from, from the, you know, from the news department. Yeah. And then diving into the blue gold game, um, you know, look, you, you can't read too much into a spring football game that's effectively just a practice. Um, but if, if you have to take some takeaways, I think one of the things that stood out to us watching this game was, Wide receiver could be a potential issue. We we knew that. This isn't a surprise. It's a thin group. It's a group where we haven't recruited a lot of depth. Um, Lorenzo Styles Jr. appeared to not play, but wasn't really discussed why. 
Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins are both out with injuries. Avery Davis still recovering from a torn ACL. Wilkins recently suffered the foot injuries, as you just mentioned. And look, there are some bright spots. Jaden Thomas looked really good. Rising sophomore out of Atlanta, same high school as the ASAF brothers. Um, Braden Lindsay had some moments, a lot of chatter. He, he could be this year's Kevin Austin and, and breaking out, but he didn't exactly light it up. And Deion Colsey, I, I couldn't tell if it was Drew Pine not being in rhythm or Colsey running bad routes, but that connection was just not happening throughout the course of the blue gold game. And so when you step back and think about what that means, you know, sure, some combination of Lindsay, Avery Davis, Lorenzo Styles, maybe Jaden Thomas or Deion Colsey, that's a pretty good starting group. But after that, we were watching walk-ons play. Um, it's not like there was seven, eight, nine guys in this room where you felt like there's other options to step up. It's really that first unit or bust here that I think is um, going to continue to be a theme throughout the offseason to figure out if there's a way for guys to develop and, and step up. Definitely. I, I agree with that, Brett. Um, in terms of top-end talent, it's a good group, not a great group. It certainly doesn't stack up to what you see from Alabama and Ohio State. If they can stay healthy... Um, and that's a key if, given the lack of depth, I think you could see good production uh, out of this out of this group. One one a couple add-ons I had was I thought Lindsey made. You mentioned that he uh, he had some moments. I thought he made a really nice adjustment to an underthrown ball from from Drew Pine. Um, I think that's something that we wouldn't have seen a year ago. He had I believe it was a jet sweep. Um, they had a jet sweep play to, to Lindsey, and his, his speed looked at like we had seen a couple years ago. And that was a play that I feel we haven't uh, really utilized quite as much. Um, especially like last year. Granted, he, I don't think he's been a hundred percent, um, and kind of at the point to where he could, he could utilize his, uh, full speed to run these type of plays. Um, uh, but I thought that was, that was kind of nice to see. Jaden Thomas, I agree with you, looked really good. Colsey got some looks. I feel like the ball was thrown his way multiple times, but he just wasn't quite able to make any plays. So that was, that was a bit discouraging. He's young. Hopefully he takes that step as we get to the fall. Uh, moving on, uh, Drew Pine. Uh, did not have the best game. I don't think he'll be starting in September. Just some really bad decisions with the ball. Uh, one thing you have to note here is that he, of course, didn't have all his top targets. Um, again, the depth was low. And then when you when that depth that you do have is, is split up among the two teams, you're working with a lot of walk-ons. Um, all that being said, he threw three really bad interceptions, even though a penalty waved one off. Easily could have had a couple more. Not a good showing. I didn't. I felt that he was getting very antsy in the pocket. He didn't feel comfortable moving around. Um, and then even in just in terms of like his zip on the ball, it just didn't seem like he was getting a whole lot on it. Um, granted, he's not someone that we expect to have uh, great arm strength, but um, it, I would say overall uh, not a very impressive showing from the uh, from one of the quarterbacks who's supposed to be contending for the starting job. Yeah, I, I know Freeman wants to develop a culture of competition, so isn't naming a starting quarterback yet, but it's Tyler Buckner. And if anything, I thought what we saw out of Steve Angeli, who led a couple scoring drives down the stretch, including the walk-off game winner for the gold team, I thought if I had one takeaway from that game, it's that Steve Angeli might be pushing Drew Pine for the number two spot on the depth chart. Um, defense, flipping to that side, defense was the star of the show. And again, you got to caution all this. It's a spring game. It's a practice. Um, the play calling was not allowed to have blitzes in the game per Marcus Freeman. Whistles were blown dead to avoid hits on quarterbacks, etc. And despite all that, um, the defense really dominated in this one. Maris Leofau really stood out to me. He looks like the real deal. Of course, broke his ankle in one of the final practices before the start of last season and missed the year. He was kind of pegged as a potential breakout star last year before that injury. So hoping now in his senior year, he, he can really step up. 
And then the other name that really stood out to me is Brandon Joseph, the Northwestern All Big Ten safety that transferred in. We knew he'd be good in coverage. He looked really good against the run too. Um, you know, reminded me of a more athletic Alohi Gilman out there. So if he can come in, solidify that um, safety spot following the departure of Kyle Hamilton to go along with Ramon Henderson, DJ Brown, a couple other guys back there, that safety position all of a sudden is starting to get real deep and, and become a real strength of, of this defensive unit. It's early, but he looks like a hit, and he certainly has a track record from uh, from his time at Northwestern. So um, hoping that he becomes an impact player for us in the fall. Moving on to another note that we had on the defense, and this is a theme that we've it's frankly been the case for the last couple of years is just overall depth. Particularly, we've seen this on the defensive line in the past, but uh, I think we, we're seeing it more broadly at some other positions too. Um, now, uh, Jaden Mickey, he has been turning a lot of heads apparently throughout throughout spring practice. He was playing at corner opposite Cam Hart. Um, based on his play throughout spring practice, um, he almost had he almost had a pick six. So if he would have had that, I think there, there would have been a lot more noise about about him. Um, but there. He is someone who could potentially uh, push Tariq Bracey and Clarence Lewis for playing time. Uh, by all accounts, he has like the right right demeanor. He's got some attitude. He's got a lot of confidence. Um, he's, he showed up to camp ready to play. Um, another position that not, not a surprise at all that looks uh, really similar to uh, what we've seen in the past in terms of depth is the D-line. We saw a bunch of guys making plays like Riley Mills, Howard Cross, Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if the D-line rotation was seven or eight players getting meaningful snaps next year. And then finally, linebacker. Uh, with Leofau back, that's key. He was someone who was expected to be a star last year before he got hurt. Jordan Botello, uh, he's someone who you just constantly hear his name about players who are poised for, uh, for, for a breakout role. Kaiser, Bertrand, that could be a really good unit if they stay healthy. Last year, if they had stayed healthy, I think they would have been an exceptional unit. Unfortunately, we had a lot of injuries. Um, and then we're not even mentioning Prince Colley yet. Prince Colley had three tackles in the, in the game. Tough to make a grade based on a practice scrimmage like the spring game, as we've said, but he was one of the more impactful linebackers on either side of the ball, except for maybe Leofau. Yeah, I, I agree. Defense, definitely the star. Depth um, at pretty much all three units just seems like it's in a really good place, and, and Freeman's making a lot of strides on that side of the ball. Um, good to see. Pivoting to some other offseason notes very quickly on recruiting. Um, it's been quiet. That, that That's a recurring theme here of, of this offseason. Um, but hopeful coming out of the blue gold game, you'll see a few more commits coming in in the next few weeks. Encourage our listeners to go back and check out episode 19 from last year's podcast, where we dove into the 2022 and 2023 recruiting classes. A quick note on the 2022 class, got a late um, flip of a four-star Indiana commit at running back Jabrian Payne. He's number 277 in the class. So another solid four-star was a very late commit a couple weeks ago. He'll be joining Notre Dame, and a lot of the recruiting services, once that becomes final, have indicated a likely move Notre Dame up to number six, one spot ahead of Penn State. Um, previously, we were number seven, so a good late addition to the 2022 class. Yeah, and we were looking to add another running back potentially in that class. We were hoping to get the uh, – there's that Penn State running back that we were hoping to get. I think his name was Singleton. I can't remember exactly what his name was, but he was a top guy. We didn't end up getting him. Um, and th there was willingness from the staff to add another running back if they found one that fit. So this is a guy who fits that need. He's a very good player. Um, and then, of course, if we bump up in the in the recruiting rankings, that's always nice to see too. Um, now, in terms of the 2023 class, really off to a, gr a great start. We're number two overall. We recently added Braylon James, top 100 overall player, number 72 right now per the 24-7 uh, um, recruiting rankings, just a high-end four-star wide receiver out of Texas. 
Um, and that's the fifth top 100 recruit for Marcus Freeman right now. I think a theme uh, that's taken hold with this recruiting class is we're just in with a top, a bunch of top players. Uh, the extent of which I, I don't think I've ever seen since I've been a fan. Um, I think fans who were following the team closely around the Lou Holtz era, you know, they might have a different perspective. I'm a little bit too young for that, so I don't remember that. But it seems like we're just recruiting at a level that we that I haven't seen before. Um, whether or not we we get all of them, I don't think I've ever seen so many top top ten, top fifteen, top fifty, top one hundred players that have serious interest in, in Notre Dame. Um, and that. That being said, uh, leads to our next point is that, um, big news to watch right now is Dante Moore. He's five star QB, number five, uh, number five overall player, uh, in the class, number three QB. Right now, crystal balls have him pointing to Notre Dame. Um, it, right now we're, we're clearly in the lead. There isn't really another contender that is, uh, seen as serious right now. He is, however, taking his official visits. So, uh, when a, when a, when a recruit's doing that, anything could happen. Um, I believe he was at uh, LSU this past weekend. Um, he has some interest in Texas A&M. So these are programs that, who knows, if they make a big NIL offer, does he does he change his tune and, and show more interest in them? That's certainly possible. But this is this is a big-time recruit, a big-time QB. Uh, getting him on board will also help with other offensive recruits. Carnell Tate is another guy that Notre Dame is, uh, is in on. He's been trending away a little bit more lately. But you get someone like Dante Morin, that might get Carnell Tate to look uh, look at Notre Dame a little bit more closely. Yeah, I think Dante Moore is that generational piece we've been missing, and, and it's really hard to put that much pressure on an 18-year-old kid that, that's never played at the college level. So caution that with, you know, whatever you need to caution it with. But, you know, he is Jimmy Clausen-level recruiting talent. He is um, Dane Chris-level recruiting talent, who had a knee injury and, and never really panned out. But as you think about what it takes to win a national title, you know, it, it takes great offensive line and defensive line play to make you a top 10 team. It takes a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson or, you know, um, Tua or Jalen Hurts. Like those are the players you need to get over the hump in a college football playoff game. And that's what this guy is, um, or at least has the potential to be in a way that we haven't seen before. You know, Tyler Buckner, top 100 recruit, high-end four-star, for sure. Not a top five player in the entire high school football class. This is where, um, you know, if Dante Moore comes in, that's the opportunity to really go and elevate and not just be in a playoff conversation of making the playoffs, but in a playoff conversation of winning the playoffs in three or four years. He's a statement recruit, kind of like Jalen Smith was. You get you get someone like this, it's 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 a shot across the board to all the college football programs and recruits. It's like, okay, you got to take Notre Dame seriously now. They're getting they're getting some really legit guys, um, and that's a, that's a theme with this class. Um, if we if we get Dante Moore, the odds something that I didn't even think was was possible a year ago. Um, I think the chances of getting a top three class are actually I'm not going to say it would happen, but there is a realistic path to actually getting there, and that's something that was unimaginable uh, potentially even six months ago. 100%. The other thing that makes me a little nervous about this Dante Moore situation is that we, um, we're also running pretty hard at a guy by the name of Chris Vizina. He was kind of our number two quarterback option, um, number 52 overall recruit, so high end four star. He recently committed to Clemson, so it felt like our plan B has now gone elsewhere. That puts even more pressure on this coaching staff to go and land Dante Moore. Because after that, um, 
you know, we're not really in the hunt with any other four-star QB, and we've kind of put all our eggs in this basket. Yeah, we're all in. We're, t- we're taking a gamble here. I don't think Notre Dame fans will be happy if we strike out here and then have to settle for a, a Tommy. Tommy Reese, love him, but, you know, a, a Tommy Reese-level <laughs> recruit. <laughs> um, sure. And I think and I think one, uh, one other note that we want to add here is uh, hopefully there are going to be more recruits committing um, on, you know, on the heels of this blue and gold game. Apparently the weather was beautiful, thrilling end of the game. Um, but uh, we, we did get our first commit in the 2024 class. Uh, Brandon Davis Swain, top 100 recruit on the D line from Michigan. Uh, so a nice, nice start to that early process. Apparently, as is the case anytime we take a recruit from Michigan, uh, apparently from their standpoint, it was someone that they really weren't actually that interested in. Uh, that was their, what they said after they lost them. So, uh, again, also good to take a recruit from Michigan. Um, recruiting's trending up. We'll have to see how things, um, you know, things, how things go in the fall and if we can cont- continue that momentum. Um, but we're, we're, we're certainly in a good spot right now. And with that, that's a wrap for the show. We'll be back uh, in a few months to start previewing the season and how summer camp is trending. Um, Until then, Guy Rish. Guy Rish.